0: hey welcome back everybody to who's your band uh hey thanks for uh putting up with us last week last week uh the interview came from sean and mine cars because we were running around and things uh you know we just got a little crazy but we are
1: back in our home
0: studios everything is cool we're excited you know uh sean how are you doing man you're in the midst of moving
1: uh yeah so this is I'm, I'm on my usual space i don't have my proper lighting even though my face is gorgeous to begin with but i don't have i don't have proper lighting right now i'm on a different laptop than i'm used to working off of this is like bizarre world for me but i got my microphone so i'm happy i managed to steal that from the box we
0: hear you find this is the perfect lighting for you i Thanks. think this should be the lighting going forward uh listen man are you excited for today
1: I am very excited for today because not only uh, do we have an amazing musician, she is also part of one of my favorite bands, uh, the amazing Katie Cole from Smashing Pumpkins. Katie Cole, how
2: are Yay. you, Katie? Oh, I'm really good. Thank you for the lovely introduction. I appreciate it.
0: Katie, where are you? Where I, I, I hear an Australian accent, but where are you now? Are you? In I'm Ar- in Nashville. You're in Nashville, okay. I thought maybe you were in uh, LA. I, w- I wasn't quite sure. So let's get into it a little bit. First thing I want to ask you: Listen, man you 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 do what Sean Sean and I are stand up comedians, okay? We're stand up comedians. We're actors, but we would love to have the talent you have because you are a multi talented uh, performer, songwriter. So my first question to you really is: What attracted you to music, and what do you love about it?
2: I don't know what attracted me to start with because I sort of grew up with it um, from a really, really young age. It was always part of like the family. We'd always be listening to to music. Like my mom was obsessed with rock and roll and she still is. She, you know, what, it was your parents musicians. very, well, my, my, my dad was a trained um, classical vocalist. She played piano. My mom played piano she always sort of sang and there's like artists and musicians apparently right through sort of both family lines. But we grew up with music just kind of being there. So it was never, we were never without music, me and my sister. So I, I don't know. I think I just, um, it sort of just hit me, I suppose, one day that that's something that I love, um, especially when I it's, you know, I was always just obsessed with music. Um, like I remember when one of the very first uh, various artists, you know, whatever we want to call it, the um, cassette tapes that was given to me when I was a really small kid was like, an, it was from the 80s. It was like hits huge 1984. And I was like, totally obsessed because like all the music, was just, just totally rad. And I think that sort of stuff stuck with me because like I had to go visit friends and they'd be listening to nothing or watching sports and i'd just be like where's like where's the music you bunch of weirdos <laughs> mm.
0: now where where was this katie was this in australia or was this when you moved to the united states no
2: i grew up in australia I, i've i've only been in the states for um, a good handful of years so i'm i'm still like a, a, australian as australians can get um mm. but i suppose i never i mean i you know, if I sort of thought it through, I suppose I would think I would probably end up in America at some point, but I never, you know, when you, I suppose young people never really think I'm going to achieve or I'm going to tour the world. Like, you, I mean, <laughs> you might sort of throw spaghetti at the wall and think big dreams, but then there's also part of you that's like, just be normal and go get a job and stuff. But I sort of grew up, I grew up like playing live, live music from sort of the age of 15 in clubs. And that was sort of my part-time job that i was doing while i was at school so it was already kind of there and it just sort of i suppose just became much more exaggerated and i just continued onwards and onwards and so forth
0: did you have a piano in the house yes you did and Mm -hmm. would you kind of like noodle around with the piano and was that the first instrument that you actually learned
2: well i am self-taught in all instruments so
0: unbelievable
2: i'm 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 unbelievable, free.
0: Katie, that, <laughs> wait, you can't even gloss over that. Holy shit. you know, yeah, and, and like you're good. You're good at what you at what you play. So what instruments what was the first one you played, and what's your best instrument?
2: Um, well, the first one I played was definitely piano because it was there. Um, and from a pretty young age, I was sort of teaching myself pieces of music that I was listening to. Like everything was by ear for me. So, As I said, I don't read or write music. Unbelievable. You know, just didn't. didn't. You're Elton John. No.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm a self-taught guitar player since I'm the age of 12. I'm 44, so it's 32 years right now. And I will tell you that, without a question, Edward Scissorhands still is a better chance of being a better guitar player than me. I suck so bad.
2: <laughs> Nicely put. Yeah, he
0: does. Uh, I, I'll attest to that. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's awesome. he's awful. Um, what to, what did you listen to growing up? So you're you're a teenage girl. You're you're 13, 14 years old, and you're noodling around on the piano and maybe playing a little bit of guitar. So what did you listen to? Because I think it's what you. you listen to i mean sean and i usually say what you listen to as a teenager is what is that becomes your band for life
2: yeah i reckon that's pretty true i reckon that you kind of hit the nail on the head there i I mean uh, yeah i was noodling on piano at sort of um the age of 11 12 and just learning stuff by ear and started playing guitar around sort of 14 and then i want to say properly picked it up again at about 16 and that's because that's when i started playing gigs so it became the I can play one song during this gig that I've got, yeah, you know, and totally killed that one song, which is probably like a Nirvana song or something with three chords. Anyway, anyway, um, I, to answer you, your previous question, my best instrument is probably still my voice, just because it's the it's the one that I've had the most experience with. I'm a vocalist first, and every other instrument um, comes as a secondary um, accompanying tool. Um, and I think what I what I listened to the most growing up was everything like and I'm I'm like really not joking about that it's my I definitely rated like my mom's music collection and it was everything from like Aretha to Pink Floyd to Led Zeppelin to Billy Idol to Stevie Wonder. Jesus Christ your mom
0: was badass.
2: Yeah and she I'm definitely who I am because like she it's it means it's definitely in the blood but having such sort of big uh big uh, and broad uh, genres and songs and bands to listen to was just such a um, eye and ear opening experience for me because like I I was really exposed to rock soul a lot of the Beatles like it was just a lot of Brit rock and um, Brit pop um, really really broad spread Um, so I got to sort of cherry pick what I liked the most and I sort of found that I was sort of very, you know, a pretty young age, sort of going, these are the these are the vocalists that I love the most. These are the songs that I love. And then delving further into that. These are the people that wrote the songs. These are the people that played on the tracks. These are the producers. These are, the, you know, and I sort of went down that rabbit hole as I got older and older, just trying to work out why I loved things so much.
0: So do you remember the first concert you went to see? Did that do anything to for you? Did that like draw you and say like, after this, I got, this is what I got to do.
2: No, because again, when you're um, like nine or 10 years old and your mom brings you into the lounge room and makes you watch Woodstock and like Isle of Wight, you don't, (laughs) like those boundaries of having like these revelations, they're like gone. Um, And she like took us to stuff. Like seeing, you know, we, we went and saw musicals like Hair, like it was everything from Hair to 42nd Street. Like she she made music a, an experience for us growing up. So That's it cool. was natural for me to then go on and be like, well, I'm going to play, you know, I'm going to play gigs as my sort of side job, like on the weekends and stuff like that. Um, it was never like, oh, I'm going to aspire to that. I, w- I felt like I was already doing it be- even before I started gigging. I was always singing, like learning songs. Like me and my sister, we'd like have battles and, you know, we we both, we'd, everyone would have their music on so loud in the house. Must Is your sister a musician neighbors. too? No, but she grew up in the same manner that I did. She always sang, like, I, I feel like she grew up and she, like when we were young, like when we were kids, like she was the lead singer and I was like the background singer because she was older than me. So she got to sing lead. Um, but it, <laughs> of course, because, you know, siblings, yay. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, any, like, really defining experiences that made me have, like, those aha moments, but I don't know. Was if it aha? Was... Uh-huh? Um, no, but God God <laughs> loved them. The a great song. Oh, t- tell me about it. And that voice, oh, my God. Um, right. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I loved from the really, from a really young age, I loved, like, Hendrix and Janice and just people that were just wild. Very and very Kind mature... of bold and...
0: Yeah, that's a very mature, like ear that you had at at a young age to really appreciate like those artists.
2: I think. I mean, I I don't know how it is for the youth of today, but like, I was just, I was just given (laughs) the youth of today.
0: (laughs) The youth of today is auto-tuned, and there are fifty writers to write the most trite shit. That's (laughs) that's what they'll listen to. They'll listen to the fucking weekend. Stop. (laughs) I like the weekend. Of course, you do.
1: Great, yeah, you, he's you should be, in a, he's a great you should be in a boy band. You should oh,
2: be a boy band, you. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Andy, has that. anyone ever told you that you look like a, a much skinnier, uh, more pleasant version of Adele? Oh, well, Adele call. is
2: Adele is skinny now. Have you not? I mean, yeah, she's, but I
1: go back. To, I go back to fat, broken <laughs> Adele. I don't. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to hear the skinny Adele right now. Yes,
2: <laughs> I've been told that once before, but I think it was just somebody on social media. Um, I don't think it was anybody. In, like I've got the memory of somebody saying it, but I don't think it was a friend. I think it was like a fan going, "You look like a thing," and I think that was it. But you're, I will take it. I'll take it. Adele is incredible.
0: you oh, you're, oh, yeah. you're you're pretty incredible. <laughs> Credible, because the artists that you've worked for are so vast and range in so many different genres. So one that comes to mind is how the hell did you wind up working with Gloria Gaynor and writing for Gloria Gaynor? Sean, sure, she, you know who she is. I will survive, just, man. This is I know who she's Gloria a giant. Gaynor is. She's cool. a giant. So in how Aust- did that collaboration come about?
2: Well, I suppose in Australia. Um, I never really found my outlet in Australia for doing my music. It just didn't, I mean, I know a lot of Australian acts have kind of, you know, broken out of the, country. no, we're not a prison colony anymore, but they've broken out of the country and they've had success elsewhere. Um, But at the time when I was there and just trying to sort of, uh, make it happen I just couldn't find anybody that was doing anything that was close to what I do now which is Americana sort of more Americana singer songwriter stuff Australia was just was only sort of giving a voice to those that were doing very indie music so I've sort of fell into I saw
0: that in your bio about Americana I, I want to ask you mm. about that you know so just so we, we were kind of clear on that Americana mm. would you say that's kind of like John Mellencamp style Tom Petty would you say that'd be yeah, considered Americana? That-
2: I like to, I like to, I mean, I, I can't remember if somebody said it to me or whether I thought of it myself, I get those things confused sometimes, but I think of Americana as a genre as kind of all the other genres or like all the other misfit genres that don't belong in pop rock country and R and B, like everything else, like everything else that's kind of, um, that is either classic, like what you are saying, kind of classic rock feeling or classic timeless feeling or bluegrass or folk like that all kind, or, you know, old country or blues, like all, a lot of those things now fall under the Americana okay. banner. So if you look in the Americana um, charts al- or album sections, if you're in uh, a music store, you'll see, you know, Bonnie Wright next to Tom Petty next to Brandy Carlisle. It's it's kind of this mishmash of, gotcha. um, of artists. But, like, I, I like to think of it as just like what you said, like John Mellencamp's a great example, just really classic songs that you, uh, like, tell the story of, if you want to say tell the story of America that's great but I just think people that tell great stories
0: because I, I think his yeah. Scarecrow album it to me uh, exemplifies Americana because he's really talking about the plight of the American farmer and living yeah. in the Midwest so yeah so I'm so I'm sorry so so you Gloria <laughs> Gaynor
2: well I fell into um the songwriter role I mean I suppose I've I'm an artist because i'm a songwriter if that if you can do that math it's very complex obviously um but i'm a songwriter first and i always wanted to tell stories and other people's stories so me being a songwriter i started writing for a lot more artists in australia and also it fell into writing for artists in europe so there was um, some artists in the uk some artists in germany and I found it was a production team I was working with in Germany that were doing a collaboration with Gloria Gaynor and I sent them a few songs of mine that I'd written. And that was the one they wanted to work with um, for Gloria. So I never had direct, uh, Ah. there was always like that. And again, I was very young at the time. I was probably, you know, 20 or 21 when I wrote stuff for her. But like there's always been a lot of middle people that, not necessarily block me from the situation, but when you're young, you you, you don't stumble across stars and icons on your own. It's, it's a, there's always somebody that introduces you or some situation that you're brought into. But I fell into yeah writing for all these dance and pop acts and strange countries and talking with producers that like their their ability to speak English was just awful. I remember sending a demo to somebody in um, the Netherlands at one point and the The comment that came back via email was like you sing and I have pink elephants in my eyes. That was literally in the email. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> this is going to get, this is going to get good. Um, I've been really lucky to obviously work with, you know, obviously people like Gloria and move to America. And one of the first people I started um, touring with was Glenn Campbell and then brought into the studio to sing some stuff on,
0: how do you go from Australia? I'm just going to move to the United States and I'm going to tour with, again, another Americana legend.
2: Well, obviously, it was just that simple. I just, you know, I did like every Hollywood, Hollywood <laughs> does, movie. Has, I has that just landed. To
0: you, Sean, has any <laughs> l- luck at like that? Fu-?
2: Never happens.
0: Never happens. It is a
1: great story. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah, you know, I landed, I got my bags, and uh, <laughs> I just made a phone call. And I was like, hey, hey, Willie Nelson, nah, I don't want to work with you. Why don't you call Glenn and see if he needs, uh, if he needs a background singer?
2: Yeah. You, yeah, you nailed it. That's exactly what happened. Um, but, I'll, you know, for the sake of story, I'll, I'll make some creative corrections to the story. Um, but we, I basically was talking back and forth with um, my my current record producer. He, you know, as I said, you know, I was starting to, to get at how I read liner notes and I, I like to know why I like things and you know, I used to like producers. doing that too,
0: by the way. Read all the line and know that's I, I that's how I actually got a job, my my very first job working in the record industry, working for CBS records.
2: Oh, well, there you go. You, yeah. Because you paid attention to all the correct the details, right? That's right. I've always wanted to know why I liked things. So I've always paid attention and there was a, there was always like a good few handful of songwriters and a couple of few producers that I just paid attention to when when a name it's like if you're reading something and a name just keeps popping up to you and you're like pay attention to that and one of those names was a producer called Howard Willing because he worked on um, Counting Crows and OK Go and Macy Gray and I just kept seeing his name pop up as either a producer role or an engineer and I was like really like these were really eclectic artists from like and and again worked with Smashing Pumpkins and that's how sort of that's how I'll get into that story to and coming up after the break. But um I yeah, was basically was asked, you know, would you ever come to Los Angeles to start working together um for with me and Howard? And I was like, you know, I never had a reason to go to Los Angeles prior because again, living in Australia, you're not, you know, much much like what was said before, you don't just go, I'm just gonna get on a plane and dr-dr-dr. That's not really what happens in reality, but I now had a reason to go to LA and actually start sort of digging into my career. Something for me this time, not just as the songwriter. So, you know, after, you know, a few months of, you know, communication and all that sort of stuff, I um, got on a plane and made a couple of trips to Los Angeles to start sort of recording and then worked out I had to move just because I saw the cogs just started turning. I realized that, you know, things were real and, like this was a real place. It wasn't just like in the line of notes anymore. It wasn't just like a studio name. It was like, this is what it looks like. This is what Sunset Sound looks like. How surreal what... was that? Oh, mind, absolutely mind-blowing just because, I don't know, you, you read the history involved in a lot of these studios and people and places. It's like, you know, all the references, even just like looking back at like you know, Hollywood movies or episodes of The Simpsons. It's like certain references make more sense once you've actually been to the place and you're like, what did I think that was about before? Like, Yeah, (laughs) I remember going to
1: LA the first time and, and doing the same thing, like listening to like stupid things like, you know, Girls, Girls, Girls by Molly Crew, and I would drive down Sunset Boulevard and I would right. see all the strip clubs they're talking about or, you know, Tom Petty's Free Fall and one of my favorite songs. I actually went to Reseda just to see what Reseda looked like. You know? so it's just it's, 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 it's a very different area out there.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. But it's like exactly what you said. Once you actually see the place and and marry it to the song or the thing that you've got in your head, you're like, oh my God, it just takes on a whole other dimension. Um, So I'm really, you know, I was obviously very fortunate to have a really good touchstone to be in in Los Angeles with. And as soon as, as I said, as soon as I started sort of working in the studio, it was like, I've got to move. So, you know, that's made all those fun decisions in my life and was like, okay, well, I'm just going to Leave Australia and just go to America and see what happens. You know, a huge leap of faith and a, a lot of uh gutsy decisions and strange, you, you know, it's a strange risk. thing too yeah. And it's, it's to taste, it is to risky. Risk,
0: right? The bigger the risk, the greater the reward. What was Glenn Campbell like as a guitar player? Watching and working with him every night.
2: Well, incredible. Like I, I don't think that even sums it up. But as I, I mean, I always knew about his music. Um, just because it's Glen Campbell like. Uh. Um, but as I sort of got to work with him And obviously do some shows with him And then was in the studio with him You know, Howard very much took me aside And was just like, you should really look into Not only his back catalogue But look into his work as working as a guitarist For like the Wrecking Crew And he kind of gave me that That's
0: right He was part of that famous studio musician yeah. group The Wrecking Crew Exactly Right, And then he wanted to be in the Beach Boys for a little bit
2: Exactly. It was just like those things where you're like, oh, and it, the more you learn and then again, more rabbit holes, lots of rabbit holes everywhere, apparently. Um, but yeah, it was just you're just very overwhelming, um, you know, to to work to work out not just, okay, he's he's an incredible artist and whatever, but just what the legend and icon that he really was and that he was also that secret sort of player in those songs and we played on like Strangers in the Night and, you know, Pet Sounds and all those, just these huge records and you're just like, oh my God. <laughs>
0: That is insane. Pet sounds. Yeah. One of the top five albums of all time. Yeah. You're working with this guy side by side. Was this right before he got sick?
2: Um, I don't really know the timing involved because I wasn't told whether he was having any symptoms or anything like that at the time. you didn't
0: notice anything?
2: No, not really. I mean- Just because he's, you know, he's older, you know, and when you're on stage, there are sort of there were sort of stage notes and things like that. But um, he wasn't so bad when I was when I was touring with him. Um, I did notice some things. um, I think it was a year or two later when I saw him um, play uh, when he was when his uh, children rejoin when his children joined the band to be be musicians in the band, and I saw him play. I think it was at um, I want to say it was at Staples Center, but I can't remember in Los Angeles and. He um he he would say something and then like they do a song do another song and then he'd say the exact same comment like he hadn't Uh. said those ex and it was just but it was at the same time it was just kind of it was beautiful at the same time because at that time it was out that he was experiencing Alzheimer's and all that stuff so the audience were very much on the same page with him it was kind of
0: that was smart and it was incredibly courageous and and we throw around the word brave but in my opinion I think he really was kind of brave to be that vulnerable to, to, yeah. to, to yeah. his audience yeah the documentary right you in, did
1: on him too was just amazing oh, was fantastic. To watch that.
2: Yeah. yeah, really 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 great but I felt obviously I'm very lucky to have been involved in that and just watching him right up and right up until the end like he if he was on he was on out came that voice and those like guitar solos, he just, it was just autopilot. It was just there and you'd just be like.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a known incredible. thing that people who have Alzheimer's will have uh, like a certain part of their brain will, will trigger. And I know I, unfortunately, I know people who do have it or have had it and they'll remember certain parts of their life completely fluid, 100%. And then they won't know the person's next to them's name, you know, but with him, the musical part really kept him going because, yeah. you know, he, you you can see even from the movie, he was, you know, there was times where he was really out of it. And then once that guitar was in his hand, it was over. That was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah really,
2: really just a yeah, bit of very bittersweet.
0: So, Katie, we know that you work and you tour with Smashing Pumpkins. Um, what What is that like and what's it like to work with Billy Corgan?
2: Um, I'll just give one-word answers. Great. No, I'm
1: kidding. (laughs) I always think of Billy as one of the, like, um, once-in-a-lifetime musicians. You know, I I liken him to, like, a a Bowie, a Prince, uh, even, like, a Michael Jackson, to a point. I I can remember. I remember. Yeah, he really is, because, I mean, mean, I've been a fan of his since the Gish album, since high school, so... Uh, I remember a friend of mine got to interview him out at his house in L.A. years ago, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was living in his pool house at the time. And yeah, it was something weird, but he walked in to interview him and he saw like 20 different Mac computers going that were all just like hooked up. To different recording devices, he's just like this. <laughs> this story would have
0: been so much better if you said they were hooked up to different
1: porn sites. That would have been such a <laughs> different twist on this. <laughs> but you know what it is? Like he's just—he's just one of those people that you could just tell exudes music. I'm like, there's just no limit to this guy.
2: Yeah, he right. doesn't
1: great. He doesn't stop. Great,
0: that's right. No limit. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. there's no limit. Like, but here's a question I wanted to ask him before we even get into that: Has he helped you contribute to your solo stuff? good question. Um,
2: indir- indirectly. Yes. I mean, he's been, he's always been very supportive of what I do. Um, and I definitely take um, inspiration from his songwriting. And it, again, once you learn, like I sort of cut my teeth, as I said, playing live, but like I was playing covers um, in Australia and it was, you know, three to five gigs a week, three to four hour shows. Like I, it was t- tremendous, tremendous, tremendous job that I did for a long time. And, The more you learn other people's material, the more that you can see why a song takes on the form that it does, why a chord progression is great, why a melody is great, why something can just, something that seems simple can just be intoxicating. So pulling apart um, Smashing Pumpkin songs to learn them, you definitely learn um, more about the songwriting um, capabilities. Again, I totally agree with you in terms of the um, comparison to Prince and Bowie and those types of people, just because... um, Billy Corgan, a lot, you know, and the Smashing Pumpkins have had that ability to, uh, to grow, to pivot, to change, sure. to, to take the to take their own direction from their own direction, and just be like, we've done that already. Let's go over here and do this now. Oh, we've done that now. Let's go over here. Oh, we haven't done that in a while. Let's go back and do that some more. <laughs> like That's just true. to, just to kind of lead and pave the way for themselves and for other artists to be sort of courageous creatively. Um, but I definitely learned. I've learned more indirectly. Um, what, what what I can do with songs, and also from a, a leadership perspective, too. Watching um, watching how him and the other guys in the band really command what they do as a performer, but also just as a business person. You know, a lot of the time, I mean, my relationship with the Smashing the Smashing Pumpkins has really been five yeah five years, maybe a little bit longer than that. Now, my first opening show was in 2014, and then touring. With with them started in 2015, then 2016, then 2018, 2019.
0: How did that all come about?
2: Oh, it was just an. It was just. It's a (laughs) two-part
0: question: How did it come about, and were you a fan of Smashing Pumpkins prior?
2: Yes. I mean, I was, of course I was a fan. Everyone's a fan. I mean, everybody, even if they don't know you play them a, a couple of songs and they'll be like, Oh yeah, I like that. <laughs> you know? I grew up, I grew up, as I said, playing a lot of covers. So I'd covered, I'd covered their material in, in, you know, What various songs did you, what songs did you, you like playing? What, song, what songs do you like playing now? Oh, there's so, I've learned so many of their songs now. It, and it really, de- I mean, people ask me all the time, but you never know, which is like your favorite song of the, of each concert or each, tour until you sort of finish each night. But I don't know. I've, I always like kind of the, the more ballady sort of songs, like to Sheila. I, I like, mm. I don't know. It, de- it really depends because.
0: Do you like this arm?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I love this arm. I mean, this. yeah. I also like data. No, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> you know what I love about I love- them? It's gotta be very it's hard as a musician too, especially for you to like when you have a band who has such an, a ridiculous catalog, yeah. But the catalog is so different. Like yeah. they're a different band from doing "I Am One" and Cherub Rock to the new yeah. stuff like Seer. It's 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 just a completely different band. And how they can yeah. just turn on a dime and go, you yeah. know, Let's I, do that I, now. you know, he, more of a hard rock grunge in the beginning, and then they you know it went more experimental. And but it's a completely different band than it was thirty years ago.
2: I think so too. But at the same time. I think it's um, like dialing it in, like the more you do something, the more you can dial in like your ability to do something and do it deliberately instead. Um, That's really something that comes with time. Um, And obviously artists like um, Bowie, you know, is it being a great example of going, I know my thing now, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this strange, beautiful thing deliberately now Um, and still being creative and taking chances. Like that's really special, but I mean, I've been very, very blessed to be brought into the situation, which is something that, um, I mean, Billy Corgan was aware of who I was just from my relationship um, working with Howard because Howard Willing is a long-time uh, collaborator for the Smashing Pumpkins. He, I mean, he was involved in machinery um, and a door right through to um, the current material. Um, he's just been one of those tried and true. <laughs> he's yeah. he's he's one of those, he's just up in the family. Um he like Billy knew who I was and was like just, you know, he was he was asking how and like would Katie open a show, like an acoustic show for me. And it sort of started and sort of spiraled so op- out of. Control. I'm sorry, you
0: say you opened for them first?
2: I opened for a, a one show for Billy originally. It was just a one-off um sort of solo-ish show in Chicago. And he knew who I was and and like I, you know, again, me being more Americana opening for an alternative rock sort of situation. Like me in my gut, I was just like is this going to be good or is this going to be terrible? Like, are the fans going to like hate me? Are they going to like, I didn't, I just thought I'm just going to but do my fearless. thing.
0: You're fearless in what you do. Look at your, look at, look at what you've told us already. you you boarded a plane. You came over here. You know, you, 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 you really took things head on. Yeah. So this wouldn't uh, uh, intimidate you. Right.
2: Well, it still, do- I mean, it doesn't, but it does. I mean, everything is scary and amazing. Like if, if it, if it's something you're not familiar with, then, you know, I you know I just sort of, you know, took into took into account the fact that yeah I've been performing live for a billion years. I'm used to this. It's just winning over a different type of crowd and knowing what to do with those people and telling them the right stories that they may be interested in hearing. And I mean, the show went really well, and it and it you know it was followed up by the the next year um, Billy asking if I wanted to open a acoustic slash electric tour that the Smashing Pumpkins were doing, and I'm like pure I'm free that day
0: whatever that is
2: but then it became well oh, do, do you also want to play bass on this tour and I'm like I, I play guitar bass is guitar pretty much <laughs> you know, that's 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 where my brain went with it like I've got I've got a pretty solid metronome in my brain um just having played live for forever um I was like yeah I'll do that too so that became a uh, you know, and you don't know until you start sort of digging into the songs, and you're like, "Can I? Can I even do this? Like, what have I? You know, what have I? What have I agreed to?" But it was obviously all in, all in, in um, my best interest to just be, again be brave and just kind of do it. And I, I, that particular tour, because I was opening the show, people were learning my songs, and then being on stage with the band, it's like the the audience put the two together and did the math and went, "Oh." like there's so much, there's more to this. So I, I, I mean, I've garnered a lot of fans on that first tour that have stayed with me right through to today. Um, I don't know why, <laughs> don't know. but mm-hmm. um, in the next tour that, that I did, that was the following year, um, Jimmy Chamberlain came back on drums. And,
0: how was that, that being part of the rhythm section with, with, with such an amazing drummer oh, like monster. Jimmy Chamberlain?
2: Absolute, absolute monster. Um, is crazy. he the best drummer you ever played with? Um, I don't know if you can say best or whatever. I mean, there's so many drummers out there that are just exceptional. He is an ex, like he's an exceptional beast. Um, it's hard because sometimes you'll be playing, like playing bass with a drummer. It's a very, it's a very locked down experience. Whereas you might also just be singing a song and listening to a drummer, and you've got the ability to really hear more of what they're doing rather than just. Trying to just sit there yeah. and go for <laughs> and go for the ride because
0: I think his drumming in tonight tonight is, really is one of these, one of the most underrated yeah thing I've ever heard
2: yeah and there's this there's this uh, really uh, it's a, it's a really unique uh, combination when Billy and Jimmy sort of I mean they dr- usually like you think of it of the engine of a band to be the bass and drums, but it's always been Billy and Jimmy, I think. And they like when, when you play with them and watch what they do live to the stuff that isn't too like a track that has maybe a few extra parts on there, like some, you know, strings or whatever. When you listen to the way that they do what they do live, they've got this amazing, unique sort of ebb and flow of like, they know exactly when they're going to speed up in a section or slow down together. And you are just kind of going for this incredible ride with them and they feed off each other. It's just very, it's, it's I've never I've never been in a situation to watch these two musicians that know exact they just it's like they it's like breathing together. They they know yeah, exactly like what they're doing brain. within the song. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. And was yeah. James just kind of like hang out there and look cool?
2: Well, on that <laughs> tour, James came in for the Los Angeles shows, the Chicago show, and the New York shows. So I was sort of in when this was 2016. Um, and I'm again I'm on bass and I'm sort of again doing that doing the math, but in a different way going, okay, this band is sort of reuniting on stage in front of my eyes and the audience are getting to experience that because James had been absent from the band right. for quite a while. So watching that happen while I'm on stage and, and going, oh, this is like a holy crap moment. This is this is something special here. And How do you keep
0: it together? I don't
2: know. Basically, you <laughs> just, I mean, you're just on stage and you just kind of have to just breathe and just be. I've always I've always been that person that's tried to make it my my sort of mo to be on stage and be in the moment because it's like there's been times where again I step out into the to the floor and the rhyme and and I come on that particular tour in 2016 I was singing a couple of songs lead because Billy wanted me to he's like I want you to sing this song and I want you to sing this song so I'm in these iconic theaters singing something. And going how did I get here and you can't you can't do that in the moment you can't you can't be that stuck in your own head or not in them you have to just be there and just totally just let it and then afterwards then you can reflect and be like oh my god <laughs> you know <laughs> how true. did I get through that how did I not like totally bugger up this song or that song or whatever it is um but I've learned to sort of just be really you know grateful for the experiences that I've been getting and you know literally every tour that I've done with the band, I've been like, Oh, this is the last, you know, just again, being grateful for being like, this is if I never get to do this again, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not being pessimistic. I'm just being honest because I'm in a very unique position being a touring musician, but not a dedicated member. You know, it's not like, (laughs) I think, I think I know by now that they're very loyal to the people that they work with and they stick within sort of a tight sort of unit of here's these people, here's these musicians, here's these collaborators, and they tend to work with the same people. And it's really just to achieve that. Even if they change directions, it's still got this familiar feeling about it, the songs and all that stuff. But, you know, I do that tour and then move on to, okay, now do you want to play keys on this tour? And I'm like, all right, I'll do Mm. that too. You know, um again, I'm free. I'm free. Uh, Whatever you want to do, you want to play some arenas? Okay, gotta, I'll we, be there. I got
0: a um a message from a fan, okay? okay. His name is Tom Borowski.
2: Uh-huh.
0: And he asks, um, do you w- when you perform the song nineteen seventy-nine?
2: Okay, mm-hmm.
0: do you know all the lyrics?
2: Well, I do now. I mean, I I'd, I'd <laughs> always known them, but you sort of you know, a lot of Billy Corgan's lyrics are very complex and it's very easy to be like oh that's totally the wrong verse or oh that I forgot this chorus is different because like I've, I've learned with Smashing Pumpkins as opposed to other bands a verse isn't a verse isn't a verse and a chorus isn't a cor- it's like it's not necessarily the same thing every time like a lot of bands you get to the chorus and you you know you can bungee over your way through it or whatever but this band <laughs> you've got to pay attention as you I just said coined like, a you, phrase.
1: You,
2: yes you feel, feel free to steal it from me <laughs> it's yours it's yours you guys are in new jersey correct
0: yeah uh sean yeah. Sh- is from new jersey i'm in new york i' am in Stanford. new york i was just
2: gonna say like he's if you know if, he, if he's your boy then feel free to steal it but um i i sort of worked out a long time ago that you have to pay attention while you like not that you don't pay attention but you have to be there in the moment or you'll be you'll forget this key change is happening or you'll forget that this verse is a bar shorter than the last verse or whatever those those things happen in my brain in real time even if you're like think you're having a moment with the crowd it's like pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. No matter how well, you know, songs, you can't really go on autopilot to play these songs, but yeah, you know, on keys playing in an arena, like Mm -hmm. how, again, how did I, I'm in Madison square garden. Like how, (laughs) what's happening? (laughs) it,
1: It really is amazing. But for me, knowing that you live in Nashville, and the, for me, when I walked into the Ryman Auditorium, it was like a, a complete magical experience for me. What, did, have, what was it like just being there as a musician?
2: Well, nuts! Because I mean, I'd been there to see shows, you know, previous to you know playing at the Ryman, and you know, it's that definitely as a singer songwriter, that's one of those few sort of key venues that you sort of aspire to. One day I'm gonna play the Mother Church, and one day, duh, 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 duh. um. But to be like, okay, well, I'm out here. I'm now. I'm singing. This isn't a song that's my song, but this is a song that I'm able to sing here and perform here. And you have those moments. If I never get to step foot onto this stage as a musician or as anything ever again, enjoy this. Like, enjoy this moment. You you got to this moment. This is your moment. Still own it as much as you can. You know, it's like. Having the ticket for the event, but also being a tourist in the event all at the same time—like you're here, here, you earned it, but it's still—it's still this sort of joint experience. So, I know I've just always tried to just be humble about it.
1: And as an Americana songwriter, though, you really are living in the absolute greatest city in the world because it's—it's nothing. New York and LA had that that stupid vibe, you know, it's that stupid snooty vibe. But for me, Nashville is is the key to music songwriting in America.
2: Well, I mean, I was living in LA um, and I started making regular trips out to Nashville just because I heard that it was like sort of, you know, music city. And like, I heard like, you know, that the best songwriters in the world all lived in Nashville or they wrote in Nashville or went to Nashville to get their songs. And again, being the songwriter, I'm like, I'm like, well, I should, I should go there. So I started booking trips out there and meeting people, and writing, and playing shows, and playing songwriter rounds, and you know, playing, you know, the Bluebird Cafe and those types of places. And you know, it really wasn't. Yeah, you know, I suppose I should have put the, you know, should have put the the two things together and gone. I oh, I probably should move here, but I've I mean I've been in Nashville now for, um, oh, I think almost five years. I think I don't know. But I don't know. And again, last year didn't count, so whatever. So it didn't count Jeff, the
1: Bluebird Cafe is like uh, the equivalent for the Comedy Cellar for us. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, yeah. Where it's like, um, you know, you can go there one night and like, you know, Chappelle will drop in. Like if you go to the Bluebird Cafe on a random Tuesday night, you might see Taylor Swift just pop in to, to like, she's working on a new song and she just wants to pop it in. Or like a Kenny Chesney will pop in or a Luke Bryan these major people. And I, I remember going down there. I couldn't even get in. It was like yeah. a Tuesday night at like four o'clock, and like it yeah. was t- the whole night was completely sold out. You couldn't even get into this place.
2: Yeah, it's, it's just it's, one of those nuts. just
1: m- magical places.
2: And there's, a, I mean, there's a couple of those venues now in town that, like, any given night you might find, yeah, yeah, one of those mu- country music artists just on stage playing a song. Obviously, times are a bit different now because COVID and whatever. Sure. And one day, one day we'll return to normal.
0: Speaking of that, how, how are things in uh, Nashville now? Is uh, Are things opened up a little bit? Is there limited indoor shows going on? What, what's happening uh, in your career and uh, in Nashville?
2: Well, I mean, I restricted myself for last year to doing only online shows just because, I, I mean, you read so many of these stories about like all these COVID sort of long haulers that get sick and then keep being sick. And again, being a singer, I'm like, I if I was to lose lung capacity hearing or anything like that, or fog be foggy and like all these long-term symptoms, I'm like, my career is literally done. I need to not put myself in any sort of position like that. So some, some restaurants opened, like I got asked to play, you know, not a whole lot of shows, but a good number of shows in Nashville and just didn't feel, didn't feel confident about accepting those, those, I mean, other people Hmm. played these shows and took my spot and blah, blah, blah. But, I didn't feel so good about it, so I restricted myself to doing um, monthly online shows on a, on a platform called Stage It. So I I made it sort of because I knew everyone else is going nuts not being able to go to shows and not being able to see their favorite bands or having tickets all refunded or like you know what what happened for the first sort of six months of so and so has been postponed to da 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 date and obviously and then those postponed dates get postponed again. I I knew that was happening to everybody, so. I'm sort of immediately sort of jumped into the role of well, what can I do to create, not just, not just, you know, get online and be like, Hey guys, is my song. Do, do, do. Just to create some sort of experience for people sure. um, that are wanting to hear music and also wanting to, I don't know, communicate because that's really the thing being isolated makes you nuts. And it's just, you know, just saying something to somebody or having some sort of feeling of, I don't know, being understood by someone else or having a moment, those moments were gone. That was sort of stolen from all of us. Um, So doing all these online shows has been sort of that saviour. And I did a lot of shows where where it was like mostly by request and I made them themed. So I did like soul and eighties and nineties and and, and, seventies and throwing in a few of my songs here and there, but just making it more like these shows are for you guys. Here you go. Here are your shows. What do you want to hear? We're doing a '90s theme.
0: Oh, that's awesome!
2: You know, just stuff well, like that. that. That's and really great.
0: What a great just idea! Just to keep
2: it, just to keep it going, because none of us knew that it would last this long, and yeah. it's still going. But it, I it, sucks.
1: it really sucks. I mean, like, yeah, you know, me and Jeff are comics, so yeah, I, I will say very freely, Jeff has been working a lot more than I have because I, I've also made, uh, yeah, I made that decision. Um, I had a very weird experience. The last time I I did a road gig, uh, I had a guy literally come up to me this close with no mask on and Mm. start talking to me and I freaked out and I'm not been one of those people who has been like, you know, oh, I'm not going to be able to get it. Like I was very careful for everything, but I, I made that decision. I haven't worked in two months. Yeah. You know, and it's just and of course, I'm itching. I'm dying to get on stage. But, you know, I I keep telling everybody who's asking me when you get to perform. I'm like, there's this is not a this is not a um, an hourglass where you turn it over. And when the sand runs out, that's it. You're done. It's going to come back. And for the people who are doing it, fantastic. But, you know, you have to worry. There's bigger things in music and there's bigger things than
2: yeah, and jokes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know? I just didn't I just didn't want to be in that position like yourself, like to be at risk and to be, I'm just like, what else can I do? And of course, like yourself, itching to get back out there and play something with anybody or anything. But yeah. you know, we've got thank 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 thankfully for guys like you and other people that have had me on their podcasts and me doing live streams, it's it's something. It's not exactly the same as it would never be exactly True. the same as being live and having the you know, even if it's just like the weird room sound and weird noises and random things and somebody yells something, someone drops a thing, those, or chatter or, you know, I make sure that to make it sort of part of the thing of when I'm playing a live stream, I'll make sure like I constantly tell people, you know, clap emojis or something, do something after I finish a song. So that's like, even though it's silence and that's the weirdest thing when you finish a song or finish a thing that's just like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's very strange. No, it's very (laughs) strange. Yeah, yeah, we do a lot of Zoom comedy shows, so we completely understand that. And yeah. it's even it's even on a little weirder level because, you know, you don't you expect to hear clapping after a song is done, but you need you expect to hear laughter after a joke is said. And when you're not hearing it, it's, yeah. you don't know if you're doing well. You don't. Yeah. It's 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 great for us, but it's also screwing with our heads a little bit, too, because <laughs> we yeah. have to assume that we're doing really well.
2: I am funny. I say what doesn't
0: <laughs> kill you makes you stronger. Oh, totally. Katie, are you writing more now that you have a little bit more downtime? Do you find yourself uh, coming up with more more songs? Are you doing that to kind of keep busy?
2: Not, I mean, I'm probably not writing as much as what some people are. Like, I tend to write my best when I'm in my best um, frame of mind. Like, I'm not one of those writers that goes through something devastating or a breakup or whatever, and it's like, I'm going to write that. I I have to be clear and then decide the story that I want to tell. Um, and as you've probably experienced as well as I have, it's like most of last year was spent with some level of anxiety. <laughs> you know, even yeah. if it's like, I, I always call it, I call it like sort of low grade anxiety. So if you think of like having a headache or a migraine, it's just kind of like the one to two out of 10 on a daily basis. It's like having a white noise in your brain. So having that sort of just little bit of anxiety and stress and worry, worries about career, money, work, whatever it is that you're worried about or just being outside and so-and-so sick or I heard this, whatever that is, that keeps my mind sort of a bit foggier than what I would like to be in a, in, a, in the best creative state to write. Um, but I've sort of worked through that. Obviously, we've had we've all had enough time slash too much time to work through how we deal with our day-to-day experiences and how we've readjusted and reestablished relationships with work or with social media or whatever it is that we're doing to make sure that we're being healthy mentally sure. and not just mental. Um, but I've, I suppose I, I write, I've been writing a little bit more recently just because I feel I feel it's a bit more inspired to do so because my my mindset's in a certain a certain positive place but I've still had other sessions that I've done for other people um like backing vocal sessions or vocal sessions or a key session or a bass session whatever it is people are wanting me to do as a collaborative experience um so I've still been working and doing a lot of studio stuff still recording my stuff demoing songs that I literally found like in closets and cupboards and hard drives. And I'm like, oh my God, I've just found all these new songs that I've totally forgot I had. I should do something with them. Um So I have, I actually have, um I have like quite a bit of new music coming out this year, stuff that I hadn't, hadn't released yet, but also stuff that I'm working on at the moment. So I just want to make sure that I'm still putting new music out there. I won't be doing what the Smashing Pumpkins do and drop like, here's like, here's like 20 songs. <laughs> That's not, I can't, I can't afford to, just drop like that many songs at the same time. I, I like to have like here's one. Pay attention to this, and here's another one. Now pay attention to this. Like I, I like I like to make it a bit more of a focused effort. And I, I'm. I heard, this, thankful. I heard this
1: great quote that I wanted to get your opinion on being a songwriter. I just heard it the other day, and it really it, it stuck with me. It was a good songwriter can make you feel something they felt, but a great songwriter can make you feel something they never felt.
2: Oh, I love that. That's, that's great. great. Yeah. I like great that. It's ball, very, it? yeah, it's really great. It's really deep and that's, yeah, that's a very, very accurate
1: fucking podcast. Let me just tell you, <laughs> no,
2: no, it's just the right. It's, it's much deeper than, yeah, it's much deeper than I ex- definitely expected, but it's, it's very true. And I, I feel that way about a lot of art. Like it doesn't matter what your art form is, whatever your creative needs are like you, whatever you do, um I mean I've I learned a lot especially from my producer who like I'd play him songs sometimes and I would think that it was like super dark and disturbing (laughs) like this lyric's too much like uh, maybe I should dial it back and put a happy ending it and he he would tell me things like no you need to go further or you okay now you've scratched the surface of this story go even further tell tell the rest of that story and you know and I've learned that when you have that emotional connection, like you were saying, like you can tap stuff in people's you know, hearts and minds that maybe they haven't experienced, haven't thought about, or even if it's just that moment of empathy of, oh my God, somebody else has gone through this. Oh my God, that person knows how I feel. Those are always those things that I strive towards as a songwriter. So I'm, again, yes, I, I'm always writing songs, but those really great songs that you come up with, those are still, no matter how, like you might write 10 songs in, in a month or in a week or whatever it is, whatever your numbers are, but maybe only, you know, one or 10, one to 10% of those songs are like those ones that you're like, Oh, that's really, that makes me feel something. Or I'll go back to like a work tape or a rough demo and I'll be like, no, I still feel something from that song. That's there's something there.
0: Katie, what do you like as a songwriter? <laughs> Sorry, Sean. I, like, we're I think we asked the same question, right? Yeah, because <laughs> we're thinking like now. That's scary. Yeah. yeah who who do you who do you like as songwriter? Is, is it Springsteen, Bob Dylan? Is it is it or is it someone off the the charts that you know uh, we wouldn't uh, be thinking about?
2: I suppose it's like I suppose it's like asking you guys. I mean, it's not the same thing because music is sort of the soundtrack to so much stuff. Um. Mm. um But it's similar to asking you guys like who your favorite comedians are because you never really come up with one answer because a lot of what you do and what you've become is this sort of, again, this collaboration in your your brain or in your subconscious of who you want to be based on things that you've experienced or shoes that you've walked in. And for me, again, having learned thousands of songs in my life, some of those bits just go in there and go into your brain of why that chord progression works, why I like this melody you know, juxtaposing these chords or why Why I'll, I'll think of like a song title and it will mean something to me so much so that I'll come back to it and be like, I want to base an entire song around this song title because there's something special in it. Why? I don't know, but it's something special to me and I know what to do with it. My favorite songwriters have always been those people that have sparked sort of, again, like like what you were saying, levels of inspiration that I didn't know were necessarily there. So for me, you know, obviously I grew up with it's probably start my love of with music probably started with the Beatles like everyone else in the entire universe. But, you know, I went into all those areas. Again, you heard all these people that I listed as references when I was listening to music, when I was young, they all went in. It was, you know, Otis Redding and Stevie Wonder, but also classical music. And there was Chopin and there was like, it all kind of just went in the blender in my brain. And instead of making some disaster, it made some delicious smoothie.
1: <laughs> and it's, it's worst true. analogy it's, ever. No, it's a great. No, that's a great one. I, I liken myself to the same thing because my musical taste goes all over the map. I mean, yeah, one of my right? favorite songwriters is Chris Stapleton. You know, oh, he's
2: great. Yeah, he's an
1: amazing guy. But the as far as lyricists go, there's a band called Hatebreed, which is a a, a, a New England hardcore band who writes. Mm-hmm. He writes some of the most amazing, uplifting lyrics, but you'd never know because he's growling through the whole thing. So as but long as it invokes an emotion, exactly. I, I feel it's, you know, as long as it's not auto-tuned, that's all that matters to me. It's like got to touch you and it's got to be real.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and what the thing is, we, we've been interviewing you
0: for about 50 minutes now. And Sean, tell me if I'm wrong on this. You know, we we felt that we said this when we were talking to Mitch Malloy, who's also a fellow Nashville uh, uh guy down there uh but we i get the feeling that you are completely authentic you are who you are like like you're in music for the right reasons you're writing songs because they're real not because you're trying to put out some type of drivel you're putting out something (laughs) that is heartfelt you know and to me whether it be country pop metal rock and roll soul I think that's all you expect and want out of your songwriting is something to be real, something to be authentic, something not to just be manufactured,
2: yeah, very, very much so. you're very, very accurate, like I appreciate you saying that too, because i I don't think you can try to be authentic. you you just have to be honest, and like honesty is really hard, honesty about who you are, what you what you wanna do, why you're doing it your own experiences in life and how they've affected you. Like I used to avoid like certain subjects in, song, in, in writing songs. Like I used to try and always find like the good way to spin the thing because it makes for the better story. It makes for the more uplifting, say, Tom Petty song to think of like the more positive take of things. But then the other part of your brain goes, you know what? Don't be afraid to go there. Mm-hmm. Oh, go and unquote yeah. there. Just go there. Just it's see true. what else is there. And like I, you know, I started, as soon as I started sort of writing songs and letting myself um, experience what I was experiencing, like going through, okay, not just here's this heartbreak or here's some grief or here's a terrible song about alcoholism. Like I just wrote the stories and just went, oh, you know, this is, and when they hit you right and when they hit you in the heart, like when you've done enough rewrites and the lyric is exactly the story that it needs to be matching the melody, matching the music and everything blends together. That's when it's like, oh, this is, this is not only is this good enough for me, like I'm not cutting any corners as, as a songwriter. I'm not cutting any corners as a musician or as a performer. Like it's the right vocal performance. It's the right song. It's the right lyric. Other people are going to notice when you're being sort of, when you're not editing, you know what I mean? When you're not editing out the, all those things.
0: I do. I know, know song makes me, you just made me think of when you talk about laying it online, being vulnerable, going there. You remember the Neil Young song, The Needle and the Damage is Done?
2: Oh, I know the lyric. I can't think of the song though.
0: Oh, yeah, man. It's, it's, the- a, it's a song about heroin addiction. Yeah. yeah. And he's just he, like, he went mm. there. And it, it's a song you would think, why would I listen to it? And then, like, yeah. when you listen to it, like, how do I not listen to this? It's yes. just, yeah. just so good. Uh, before we wrap up um okay you, you opened some shows for the band America right
2: mm-hmm.
0: okay did, did you got were you on the tour when they played in Staten Island at a place called the St. George Theater
2: No it was just in California oh okay but that was that was great
0: <laughs> okay yeah yeah talk about uh, America Americana and uh, great songwriters America Oh yeah
2: I mean I've been re- so lucky to again you know I I took that leap of faith. I moved to Los Angeles to work with Glenn Campbell, and my producer wrangled Christofferson to sing on a song on one of my uh, my twenty fourteen record. To then work with the Smashing Pumpkins, and I mean, like you guys might might be aware, I spent like a good chunk of last year. Um, I, I wrote almost all of the background vocal arrangements for the Seer record that came out. So it wasn't just like me singing on it. I was creating these parts, they, these really thick vocal uh, extreme set of parts. So- Which, by
1: the way, is my favorite Pumpkin's album in a very long time. <laughs> is that you? That was my alarm, yeah. Okay. Thanks, And I probably
2: I probably need to stop talking now. It's probably your that, – that's like the play it off music.
1: No, you know what it was? I'll be very honest with you. You want to know the truth?
2: No. Okay, go.
1: I'm addicted to this new clothing company called Dixon Flannel. Oh God. Okay. And they put <laughs> and they put out a new a shirt in five minutes, which is why I set my alarm because I'm a little oh bit God. of a diva and I have to buy Jesus. it right away.
0: How are you not on RuPaul's drag race? My God.
2: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Look, you can blame uh, I, I, I would say just weird blame weird it on about about you the pandemic. Every time. <laughs> Blame it on the pandemic. Can, you can be like, well, you know, since lockdown, I've got to have some new things to do. This exactly. is something I'm going to do. I
1: have to model my new flannel shirts.
2: <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing them. I, seeing, seeing a new shirt in one of your, you know, one of your future yes. podcasts. Well,
1: hopefully we'll wear it the next time we see you uh, come around when a real concert comes around in New York. And uh, we'll see you guys at MSG, hopefully.
2: Oh, my God. I, can't, I, mean, I just do can't wait. Where people
0: find you? and how could they how could our fans become your fans
2: um well most of the stuff obviously because we all live online um i'm mostly in two dimensions online um my my main website is katiecollofficial.com but almost all of my social handles are katiecollofficial except twitter which twitter is katiecolle music and they're all verified so if you see the check mark it's like that's actually mm. me well, it's actually me. It's not some random <laughs> imposter that kind of is just stealing all my content. Um, but it's I do have problem. some new music coming out next month. Um, and I have a an online show coming out uh, Feb 6th that's on stage it as well. Um, I always have something going on. I'm starting up my YouTube again. I took a break for a few months just to kind of like put my brain back together again. But I always do series on YouTube as well, just because people, you know, people sometimes will stumble across a cover and You go down the rabbit hole of going like, what else has she got? And then literally lose an hour because they're listening to music. But if you find me in one place, you'll find me just about everywhere. But almost everything's Katie Cole official. Guys, check out
0: Katie Cole. She's amazing. She's delightful. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, man. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you guys actually, you know, having this show and just having a lot of just random and great people on your show. I have listened to a few of your podcasts, so I appreciate you having me on as a guest.
0: Oh, cool. Thank Thank you, Katie. Guys, take care. We have another great show coming up next week. Please check out Katie Cole. She's the best and we'll catch you next week. Take care everybody. Bye, Bye Katie.
2: Bye.